Support for this podcast comes from Frito-Lay in the 2023 Snack Bracket Championship. The Frito-Lay Snacker Challenge is underway, and fans are voting on their favorite snacks to crown champion. We're talking about primetime matchups between the best 64 snacks in the land. Will Ruffles Ridges reign supreme? Can Doritos defend their dynasty? Or will Smart Food use their smarts for a surprise upset? Only you can decide. Get in on all the action for a chance to win up to $1,000 or a year's worth of snacks. Let your snacks be heard. Just go to Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com to vote and enter for a chance to win. No purchase necessary. Threepstakes ends April 3rd, 2023. Void where prohibited. Years worth of snacks awarded in the form of 52 coupons, each good for one bag of chips. See official rules at Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com. Welcome to Royals Review Radio. I'm the editor of Royals Review, Max Reaper, and uh, joining me as usual is Sean Newkirk. Sean, how are you holding up tonight? Good, good. Uh, got to watch some True Detective. There's nothing else going on in Kansas City on this Sunday night as we record. It's a pretty boring Sunday night. So. Pretty slow uh, weekend of sports, <laughs> except for Survivor. Yeah, probably the biggest sporting event <laughs> since the Royals won the World Series. Uh, their Chiefs hosted the AFC Championship game. And spoiler alert, they did not win. Um, I guess the best thing I can say is that the Royals lost the World Series in heartbreaking fashion at home, and then the next year they won it, won it all. So if that's if that's something to keep you know optimistic about, and Patrick Mahomes will be in yeah. Kansas City for many years. Uh, also joining us is fellow Chiefs fan Matthew Lamar. Matthew, did you watch the game tonight? I sure did. Um, I got really, really angry at the end of the fourth quarter. Um, and then by the time overtime like started, I was in like acceptance, like, you know, the chiefs tied it up. That was a heck of a game. You know, if the Patriots win the toss, they're going to, they're going to score and the game's going to be over. So that's, that's just how it is. Um, and lo and behold, that that's how it was. Uh, honestly though, uh, another, uh, I kept remarking this, um, during the game, but Tony Romo was so freaking good. Yep. Yeah, he called. He was he, not only is he great for those of you who who don't watch NFL or haven't seen a game with with Romo often. Um, he's a really fresh uh, commenter, color commenter. Um, he is really good at explaining what's going on rather than just throwing you know broadcaster you know lingo at you. And also, what he does is he. Uh, has this uncanny way of seeing what teams are doing in real time Mm -hmm. and telling you what the play that they're going to run is, and then that's the play that they're going to run. On no less than like five occasions, he explained what the Patriots would run, why they would run it, and what to look for in the defense, and every single time, the exact thing. thing. It's amazing. Yeah, it was as if like his his game feed was 10 seconds in front of everybody (laughs) else. Like he was... uh, Doctor Strange, like he could see all, every outcome and, you know, go from there. Yeah, it's Definitely. almost like the Chiefs should hire him as a defensive coordinator. Yeah, I know. But, you I was know what was that. also really refreshing <laughs> about his broadcast is that he is really enthusiastic about the sport of football and yeah, likes he's the game excited. of football. And that's like in stark contrast to a lot of baseball broadcasts where we get a yeah. lot of complaining about the state of the game. Like, football is a lot different than it was when I was a kid. Like, their games were 17-16, everyone ran the ball, you know, 30 times a game, and no one passes, you know, they could complain, you know, you, you would think a guy like Romo or someone else could, could complain a lot about the state of football right now, but they don't. They embrace, you know, the changes in the game, and, and yeah, it's a lot of fun, and, and, he, and he brings a lot of, like, real analysis instead of narratives and false cliches, and, and uh, it is really refreshing, and I hope, uh, you know, it'd be nice if there were more broadcasters like that in all sports. I, I definitely agree with you. 
Um, so, you know, I guess that officially marks the end of football season in Kansas City, unfortunately. Yeah. Uh, so we can, I guess, maybe turn our attention towards baseball a little bit. Not that there's a whole lot um, of news yeah. with the Royals. Uh, of course, I do start spring training here in a couple of weeks. Uh, we did get one bit of pretty big news here last week when uh, it was announced that Eric Skoglund, the Royals left-handed pitcher, will be a suspended for the first 80 games of this year for uh, testing positive for performance-enhancing drugs. Uh, it was a couple of, uh, uh, I guess, uh, testosterone boosters. One was called Osterine, and one was called Lingadrol. A couple other notable players have been uh, busted for that in recent years, like uh, Joachim Noah of the NBA and uh, Will Greer of college football. Uh, Sean, does the Skoglund suspension, I guess, first of all, does it surprise you that a pitcher like Skoglund would get would get busted for something like that? And also, does this does this really impact the rotation or the Royals this year? Well, I was going to say it's perfect that I went to IKEA just the other day because Skoglund sounds like an a, an item from IKEA. Um, <laughs> but yeah, uh, no, it doesn't. I don't know. I mean, usually, like when guys get caught with not usually, but often when guys get caught with PEDs, it's like the 38 year old pitcher who it's like uh you know who's on his last leg and he's like all right who gives a crap if i cheat i it's either this or i don't ever come back you know or i don't make the majors again um but no i mean he seemed almost guaranteed to to be on the mlb roster at in some capacity um and obviously he was going to definitely be in the mix for um like a, a rotation spot to to come out of camp you know in camp and I mean, I, I would imagine he was an odds-on favorite to be part of the five. Um, so, I don't know. Um, I, I don't know if there's really much of an impact because I think we kind of know, you know, who he is at this point. Even though, you know, he doesn't have that much underneath, you know, experience as far as, you know, throwing a thousand innings. But I mean, I don't know. It, it would definitely take some some forecasting to, you know, to really see him being a, a big step forward and the like. And um, so, does it? Imp- I don't know if it really impacts the future um but it does you know if anything i guess the silver lining is it gives someone else a chance um so maybe they find like a maybe you know maybe it's kyle zimmer or um trevor oaks or someone who you know would have started in triple a but now he gets a shot to you know in spring training and you know he ends up being you know better than what scoglin would have been so i guess that's the silver lining but i don't know yeah, I, I hear what you're saying. I think it, this does come at a pretty pivotal time in his career, though. I mean, we saw with Jorge Bonifacio, he'd put one good year under his belt when he got suspended last year for 80 games for uh, Boldenone, uh, a horse steroid. And yeah. it ended up really being a lost year for him. He wasn't really good when he came back, and you don't know if that, that time off really hurt yeah. his development. So, I mean, Matthew, you know, with a guy like Skoglin, who's kind of fringy major league at best, Right now, uh, you know, this is probably the year where he needed to uh, kind of show the Royals something because there is a, a rotation spot there to be had. I mean, does this? Do you think this affects his development that much? And it, it, if it does, is that is that a big loss for the Royals at this point with the state of their starting pitching? Well, I think it's a, r- a really interesting kind of kind of thing. Uh, there are a couple of different ways to look at it. Um, it was funny. My coworker last week uh, at my at my day job asked me, you know, what's the Royals review take on Eric Skoglund being, uh, you know, the official position, <laughs> the official position. And, and I, I basically told him, and I think you you two probably agree with me, is he's not really that good enough for it to warrant much uh, angst over. 
Um, like it's too bad for him as a person and as a player and for his development, um, you know, and you never want to see someone use PEDs, um, even though he's a pitcher and you don't expect it, but you know, pitchers were reducing just like hitters in the steroid era. It just wasn't nearly as obvious. Um, so I, I just, I just don't think he's good enough really to stick around as a, um, as a starter. I mean, you look at his, his stats, like, in 88 career innings at the big leagues, um, his ERA is about six, which is not good. His FIP uh, fielding independent pitching um, is about five. You know that's that's not that's not good. Um, and his uh, X FIP um, is about the same, so it's not like he's really fluky. Uh, you know, home runs or anything. He's just not good. And like you even look back at his like AAA numbers, um, it's like not not great. Like he. In 2017, he struck. He was, you know, pretty good at striking out people. But that's like one of the only years. If you look at his like double A and high eight numbers, he doesn't really strike out a lot of guys. Uh, he's just, he's just not like a guy that you would, you know, count on to become something. Now, what he is, I think, is like a really good lottery ticket. You know, he might turn into something average, um, and that's really super valuable, especially for being a pitcher. Um, but I, re- I like. I just don't think that this really matters that much long term because he's not—he's not super old. He just turned 26 a couple months ago, um, and he's a guy that you could easily shift to the bullpen. And if you look at the Royals bullpen, it's like you know three sticks and a pile of hay and a human arm somewhere in the middle of it. It's just—it's not great. Uh, so there's a spot for him when he comes back. Yeah, either way, and it's not like they're you know got you know a, a starting pitcher tree either. Um, so, and the other thing is these things kind of tend to work themselves out, right? You think, oh man, the Royals have like seven or eight guys in the rotation. And you think about it and then like halfway through the year, four of them are injured and they're using, you know, random people they, they find off the street. So it seems. So I, I just don't think like it's much ado about nothing, I guess. Um, it's obviously, it's a very big deal for Scoglund, but for the team, I don't think it really matters. Yeah, I think you're right about He kind of is what he is. He was kind of that... He had that really good major league debut against the Tigers where he had like seven shutout innings and, and really hasn't has struggled to come anywhere close to that since then. So I think he was probably in line to get the fifth starting spot uh, just because he was the most experienced and most uh, oldest guy. I guess, you know, it's kind of his turn and like you could wait on Jorge Lopez and maybe Heath Fillmire. Um But with him kind of out of the picture for the first half, I mean, that probably – opens up a spot for Phil Meyer. Now he's probably the favorite to get that fifth spot. Um, Jorge Lopez has a better chance now of making the rotation. Uh, and, and, and you maybe get a chance to look at a guy like Trevor Oaks, as Sean mentioned. So, you know, that could be a good thing. Maybe those guys, those guys are definitely younger and have probably better upside at this point than Skoglund. So um, kind of a missed opportunity for him. And I'm sure he feels remorseful um, whether he took the, he says he took them unknowingly, but um, that's what a lot of players say. But uh, unfortunate for him and unfortunate for the Royals. But um, like you guys say, I think it's not going to be. This is not a year where that, that's going to you know matter all that much. It's a development season, so we'll we'll see where that ends up. But uh, yeah, and no playoffs though. He's not eligible for the yeah, playoffs. Yeah, he won't be eligible for the playoffs. So in case yeah. that uh, ends Too up being a factor. So yeah, so there goes his trade value. So. Um, but uh, you know, speaking of performance enhancing drugs, I want to kind of turn to the Hall of Fame ballot a little bit, which. Um, has been kind of uh, controversial the last couple years 
with uh, you know talk about you know the players that did performance enhancing drugs and should we vote them in? Should we vote them out? Should they not be eligible? Uh, we know that uh, the the veterans committee, which is now called the Today's Game Committee, they voted in uh, Lee Smith and Harold Bain, so that those two will definitely be in. But this year, the you know, the Baseball Writers of America this week will un, uh, announce their selections for the Baseball Hall of Fame, which includes some really big names. So let's look at some of the Hall of Fame candidates, and we'll start with, I guess, the most controversial one in Barry Bonds. Uh, by the numbers, slam dunk case. Uh, he's the home run king, 762 home runs, most walks of all time, 2,558, 298, 444, 607, career hitter, 1,051 OPS, 182 OPS+. plus. He was a uh, seven-time MVP, 162 wins above replacement for his career. But, of course, he has the cloud of suspicion of, of performance-enhancing drugs around his career, uh, was implicated in the Balco scandal. Uh, Matthew, is Barry Bonds on your Hall of Fame ballot? He hit the most home runs in the history of baseball. That's, that's, that's it. Seven MVPs. That's, that's, that's it. But yeah, that, he did performance-enhancing drugs. Look, I don't care if in. he ripped the moon out of the sky and ate it for breakfast. Uh, that doesn't make any sense. I, I, I don't care. <laughs> I, I think here, – here's my philosophy. It, we, we can really get into the, into the weeds on all of the individual you know, pros and cons of all these guys, so I'm, I'm going to keep this, this short. But – Generally, for these these steroid steroid guys, and for anybody in kind of steroid era, this applies to Bonds, this applies to Clemens, but mostly the hitters, you know, like Sheffield and uh, you know Larry Walker and all that. Um, is that yes, the hitting environment was up, but some players were just so much better than others, and it wasn't just the good players who were doing steroids, you know, like a high percentage of players were doing steroids. Some of them were bad and they were doing steroids. You know, people don't think about that. It's not like, oh, all the good players were doing steroids. There were bad players who were doing steroids and who were just still bad, you know? And the fact of the matter is that Barry Bonds was just so much better than anybody else in that era. That That's, that's what you have to go by, is you have to go by how much better were these people than the average hitters of that era. Um, and so that's why Barry Bonds should be in because he's, yeah. he's just unbelievable. And Bonds, like, I don't know if there's the opinion of this, but I feel like there was an opinion of, like, Bonds just got good once he started doing steroids. I don't think people realize how incredible he was at, with the Pirates. And, I mean, I think people do that lived around back then, but I think people my age um, and the like don't understand that he was dominant. He was he was Mike Trout level with the Pirates, and then he went to San Francisco and was very very good. And you know it's just uh, greatest hitter, probably the greatest hitter of all time in my opinion. And you know Harold Baines can be in the Hall of Fame, Trevor Hoffman can be in the Hall of Fame, but Bonds isn't because he you know did steroids, which one we have no idea who did steroids. We know Bonds did because he admitted to it. But we have no idea who else did steroids. We have no idea what the effects of those steroids are. And most of the people that we, quote unquote, know did steroids were part of a document that was leaked that was not supposed to be leaked to begin with and was supposed to remain anonymous as far as the names go to begin with as well. So I don't understand how you can tell the story of, of baseball 
Um, and this is, as Keith Law put it, I, I'm kind of quoting him off the top of my head, how you can tell the story of baseball without bonds from whatever it was, 90 or 85 to 2000, whatever he retired in. I, I don't understand. There's no way you can just skip over all of that with bonds and then same argument with Clemens too. I, I can't imagine you can just, just say, well, these players didn't exist. Yeah, okay. and you're right. I think you really make a really good point about people forgetting how good Bonds was early in his career. You know, there's a common um, theory that uh, Bonds kind of saw the home run chase in '98 by McGuire and Sosa, saw that they were obviously you know roided up, and said, "Well, screw this. If they're going to do it, let me show them what I can do." But you know, if you accept that theory and say, "Well, okay, around '99 or 2000, he started juicing up," uh, you look at his career before that. And, you know, his first, if you take off the last eight years of his career, basically just take his career from 86 to 99, he had 445 home runs alone during that stretch. Yeah. 968 OPS, stole 460 bases, already had three MVPs at that point. I mean, he was, yeah, he was ridiculously good for that era. And, uh, yeah, I, just, I, I struggle with this a little bit more than I think a lot of um, contemporary writers do in that, you know, I, I do think there's a little danger in rewarding people that did performance enhancing drugs um and and that you know there there yeah there were a lot of people that did performance enhancing drugs there were probably a lot of people that didn't i think of a guy like will clark and and maybe will clark was juicing too and we just didn't know it but you know he was a phenomenal player early in his career had a lot of back problems and just couldn't really stay on the field in the second half of his career and you know you look at his career versus rafael palmero and palmero's was flipped he, he wasn't you know palmero was kind of an average hitter who just took off in his 30s and now we you know we can suspect that a lot of that was probably due to performing enhancing drugs and so you know was will clark cheated because uh you know he didn't want to do performance enhancing drugs and, and other players did and maybe you know maybe that's just too too much speculation we don't know who yeah. was and who wasn't and that's that's part of the messiness of this so but and here can i can i give some players as well that yeah i mean we know bonds did steroids because he admitted to it um and i'm on i'm quoting Wikipedia, which i'm assuming is semi-factual in this case other guys who have done who have admitted to taking amphetamines uh, Goose Gossage, Mike Schmidt, Mickey Mantle, Roger Maris, Hank Aaron, uh, uh, I somebody else, Tom House, have all admitted that they took, uh, Babe Ruth admitted that they took, you know, performance altering, performance enhancing drugs, whether it be steroids or greenies or uh, Mickey Mantle getting that injection into his hip that ended up, you know, sidelining him for that 61 season. Um, it, all these people have taken – it's just that it, Bonds got, quote-unquote, caught in a time where people were really looking at drugs. But yet, Well, I mean, he wasn't – really, he was, wasn't even caught. He never failed a test. Yeah, too. That's, yeah I think it's exactly. an important distinction to make, too. Yeah, yep, yep. And so uh, it's just – it's incredible that we – you know, there's so, so much worse. You, you know, Harold Baines is in the Hall of Fame. There's um, – God, what's his name? That killed someone. God, uh I'm totally blank on his name, and he was a racist. He's uh, in the Hall of Fame. I mean, there's so many people that are. Tommy Lee Jones played him in a movie. I oh, can't Ty Cobb. It. I don't know. Yeah, if Ty Cobb. Kill someone? I think he just got a. He I thought assault, he shot that. I think he's assaulted a few people, but oh, I don't know if he I killed he, anyone. I thought he killed someone. My bad. Um, I could have sworn he killed someone. Anyways, uh, yeah. So I mean, we can allow that in, but you know, Bonds, who was already an MVP or was already probably a Hall of Fame candidate to begin with, you know, he doped up. Oh well. Yeah, and I, I think you make a really good point about, like, we can't just ignore the fact that these people existed. Like, those home runs were hit. 
And it, I, yeah, when you talk about the Baseball Hall of Fame, you're talking about the literal history. It's a museum of baseball. And to not have him in and Roger Clemens, and I think in my mind, Pete Rose, too. I think Pete Rose, I mean, I think he should be banned from baseball and, and, and you know, stayed away, should stay away from clubhouse. But I think he should be in the Hall of Fame as well, just because those players are the, you know, the fabric of the game. And they, they were part of the game, for better or for worse. And uh, I feel like they what they did in the field cannot be be ignored. So we can kind of segue, I guess, into Clemens. So I guess, first of all, Bonds definitely on all three of our ballots. Is that correct? Yes. Yep. yep. Okay. Roger Clemens, I guess, as well, because yep. pretty much the same yep. case. One of the greatest pitchers of all time. Uh, and, uh, you know, another guy that almost certainly did performance enhancing drugs. I don't know. Did he admit to it as well? I don't remember. Uh, but I thought he admitted to it. Well, yeah. I think, you know, he's implicated by Brian McNamee, which some people um, feel is not as reliable of a source. Of, I, I thought I remember him, like, on this on the stand or whatever, yeah. you know, testifying to Congress that yeah. he did it. Okay. Yeah. Maybe not. Okay. But he's another guy that, I mean, even if you want to look at his numbers from the '80s, he was he won three Cy Youngs by the by 1991, and and sure there were steroids back in the the '80s and '90s. I don't really think he was, you know, using anything back then. I think he was a fantastic pitcher just on his own. But um, but certainly he has that. He's going to have that taint during his whole career. But uh, I think he's obviously in. It sounds like you guys both have Clemens in as well. Yep. Yep. Uh, Roy Halladay, interesting career, um, kind of a rough start to his career, uh, but I think at his peak, he was one of the most dominant pitchers in baseball, uh, two-time Cy Young winner, won 203 games, which isn't a lot for the Hall of Fame. I mean, you're talking about 300-game winners, uh, but had a three, uh, 3.38 ERA, 131 ERA plus. Sean, is, is Roy Halladay in your Hall of Fame? Yeah, I mean, he's he's a borderline guy. And enough that, like, you know, he's he's memorable for the, the no-hitters he threw in the postseason, or, or perfect game even, I think. Um, so, yeah, if I, I'm someone who, at least in this ballot, I would use all 10 votes. And so maybe on another year he wouldn't get in, like, if there was, like, 10 or 15 people already in front of him. That's just, you know, really, really strong candidates. And this ballot has a lot of strong candidates. But I think I think he's worth being included He's borderline enough that he's worth being included into "quote unquote" my ten. I keep saying "quote unquote" this whole time. Anyways, he's in my ten. I think yes. Matthew uh, Roy Halladay didn't really get a career going until he was about twenty-five years old, and and he was pretty much done by age thirty-five. But those ten years, man, he was awesome. Yeah. Uh, so is that? Yeah, I don't great. know. Is that if he's if is he did he have a long enough peak? I think to to kind of get into Cooperstown in your mind. Yeah, I, I certainly think so. I mean, he was good for a long time. He's got um, two Cy Youngs, I want to say. Is that yeah, right? Yeah, two Cy Youngs. I mean, you've got multiple Cy Youngs. You were one of the best pitchers during your era. Um, you know, I, I think that's I think that's that's enough. Um, I think he was a excellent pitcher for his time. And you know, I I don't I don't think that Hall of Fame votes should be like you know um, the longest tenured person should get in otherwise omar viscal would be a shoe in and he's he's not because he mm. played for ninety-seven thousand billion years um so yeah i i i think roy halliday is pretty clear now some of the other pitchers um not so much um like andy pettit and mike Mussina, you know but i think roy halliday is the best of the bunch uh so and and i think with 10 i think he gets in maybe if you have five or eight or something not so much, but ten certainly, yes. 
Yeah, in those 10 years, he averaged 17 wins a season. He had a 2.97 ERA, 148 ERA plus, and he finished with Cy Young votes seven times in those 10 years. Uh, so that's that's pretty dominant, I think. Um, let's see how many wins above replacement. He had, in 10 seasons, he had uh, 62 wins above replacement. That's pretty amazing. I, I tend to think you need more than 10 years uh, like that. But because he was so dominating, I, I have him in. I'm surprised that he's on so many ballots. Like, uh, if you look at uh, Ryan Thibodeau's Hall of Fame tracker, he's he's, he's on en route to get in, uh, which I thought he would have to wait a while. I think, like, I, uh. I lean more towards Sean. I think he's more of a borderline case than, than perhaps others. But it's it looks like he's getting in, so I'm a little surprised. His death, I think his death plays a part of that, too. I mean, he that's, also gets a, a, he gets a yeah. kind yeah. of boost because he passed away recently, too. Yeah. So. Um, you, let's talk about the other pitchers that Matthew mentioned, Mike Mussina and Andy Pettit. I think Mussina has the has a stronger resume. Uh, Mussina, 3.68 ERA, which is pretty high for a Hall of Fame candidate, but that, of course, is a silly ball era, so we can kind of, um, you know, take that into consideration. Uh, 270 wins, which, you know, wins, if you still believe in wins, a lot of riders uh, would have that close to Hall of Fame contention. 123 ERA plus. Um Never won a Cy Young Award. Uh, was a very good pitcher for several years, but never won a Cy Young Award. Uh, but did finish top five six times. Uh, Matthew, uh, Mike Mussina, very, very good pitcher for, for several years. I don't think anyone would deny that. But is he is he in Cooperstown in your mind? I think so. You know, in the case of Roy Halladay, he was really excellent for um... – he was really excellent for a short amount of time. I think Musina wasn't quite as good, but he was, uh, you know, better for longer. Um, and I, I think he does. Uh, you know, he was he was one of the uh, the great. Uh, you know, maybe not super dominant, but he was you know a name that really matters. Um, and anybody who you pitched or hit during that era knows knows the name Musina and uh, he has a really good reputation of being around for a long time and being really good, even if he doesn't have like the hardware that some of the other guys do. Um, he's kind of like a borderline. I think he was like one of my like eighth or ninth pick or something, but I, I, I have him squeaking in. Sean, do you have the moose in? Um, yeah, I think so. No, I, I know I for sure do. Um, he, he wasn't that borderline for me um, by Fangraph's war. He's at 82, which is clearly in, um, three more than Kurt Schilling and uh, 15-ish more than Andy Pettit and Roy Hall- Holiday. So, um, yeah, no, Messina was in for me. He's kind of like, I think Jack Morris has a lot of support, um, you know, and Messina is basically Morris but better. Just pitched around, was good for a very, very long time. And I think there's some merit in that. And not only was, you know, Messina good, he was, you know, he wasn't just like a three-win player for a while. I mean, he was had a pretty dang good peak uh, from 26 to whatever it was, 30-ish, um, you know, for the Orioles and early Yankees. And he was even pretty good late in his career at the Yankees too. So, um, yeah, I mean, the kind of like that Greg Maddox thing where, you know, you probably maybe weren't excited to, to you know, see Musina necessarily pitch, uh, but he was just so good for so long that, yeah, he just racked up enough to – he's in for me. Clearly, easily for me. Yeah, I think his career maybe was hurt a little bit playing for the Yankees because I don't. It didn't seem like he was ever like the ace of the Yankees because they always brought in like Randy Johnson or Roger Clemens or someone to be oh, yeah. better than him. But yeah, he was. 
in my mind, he's a lot like John Smoltz in that he was kind of a guy that always got overshadowed by his teammates. But but if you look at their numbers, they're actually pretty similar too. But he's you know just always very solid, always you know a top five Cy Young candidate. Uh, so yeah, for me, Messina is an is an easy choice. Um, let's get to a couple harder choices. Andy Pettit, who Matthew mentioned, 256 wins, 117 ERA plus. So ERA plus isn't that great in the silly ball era. Um, and he also has the stain of performance-enhancing drugs, admitting to it. Uh, he said it was for rehab purposes. Uh, obviously, he didn't use it to hit home runs, but if you're going to keep out guys like Barry Bonds, you, you would probably want to keep out guys like Andy Pettit. But since we aren't going to keep out guys like Barry Bonds, is Andy Pettit on your Hall of Fame uh, ballot, Matthew? Uh, he isn't. Um, he had a couple – he has some more mediocre seasons than I, you know, I remembered. Um, he had a really long career. was good. You know, great career to have. But – not a Hall of Fame career. John? Yeah, I think Pettit is... Pettit doesn't get... He gets the longevity. Like, it's it's amazing how long he pitched for, 3,000-something innings. Um, but I think that he... He didn't have the peak. Like, Mucina had a pretty dang good peak where Pettit was just pretty much good for a long time. Um, so I don't like giving it just based on longevity. And there's nothing to sneeze at, you know, being a three to four win player year in and year out. Um, but he only had one seven win season, and that was at 25, like his third year in the league. And then he put up a couple almost six win seasons, but he was just, he was more of the time just, you know, an above average to all star guy as opposed to, um, you know, someone who just was amazingly good, like maybe Musina was uh, for, for a span. And I was trying to think of, like a, a comparison to him. Uh, I don't know if Tim Hudson was a good one. I'm just, just thinking of a guy who... Yeah, I think Hudson, that actually makes a lot of sense to me. Was just kind of good for a while. Mm-hmm. And obviously there's, you know, I would love to have that on any team that I'm a fan of, having Tim Hudson around forever. But I just think that it was more of like, he pitched for a while, so he kind of, and wars in a cruel stat, so he picked that up. And, you know, I think he was good, but I don't think he's on mine. Maybe, yeah, that's probably about right. Yeah, I think that's there. I think, yeah, I think he's just a really solid pitcher who pitched a long time and was really good. And if yeah. there's a hall of very good, I would put him in, but yeah, I have him, I have him just out. Maybe, maybe AJ Burnett as well. I'm just looking at guys yeah. who's pitched the past 15 years that, you know, racked up a lot of wins and Burnett did, mm-hmm. um, but wasn't necessarily like, Oh yeah, he was so exciting. And, you know, yeah. Put no, I think Hudson makes some sense. Mark Burley kind of in that. In oh that yeah. 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 Burley's good. Um, Let's move on to the next pitcher that was – he was the toughest case for me, uh, and that is Kurt Schilling, who, if you look at the numbers, um, he had really a weird career in that he just didn't do anything in his 20s. And then when he had his 30s, uh, he was just a phenomenal pitcher. Uh, after the age of 30, he uh, made six all-star teams, finished second in Cy Young voting three times, um, led, league, led the league in wins twice. Overall, he won 216 games, 3.46 ERA. 127 ERA plus, known for being one of the best postseason pitchers of all time. He was 11 and two in the postseason, 2.23 ERA. Of course, he had the bloody sock game. Since his playing career, he's come become pretty controversial. He wasted 75 million dollars of taxpayer money in Rhode Island, but I think more significantly, he's been kind of known for his abhorrent, uh, over-the-top political views. So, Kurt Schilling. Uh, first of all, does, does the off-the-field stuff matter to you at all sean is when it comes to evaluating his hall of fame resume yeah and i think i mean i think i can 
I think I'll just cover everything in one kind of fell swoop that like Shillian has got everything I want as far as longevity, peak, you know, pretty dang good postseason performance. And then, of course, you've got blatant racism, which is my favorite thing to include in. But now <laughs> he he does not. Yes. If he never logged on to Twitter, I don't care necessarily about his gaming company um, going at that's that's stupid. But, you know, you know, it sucks that the taxpayers had to pay for that. But whatever. Um, I, I care about, you know, on the field, if he'd never logged on to Twitter or never got onto his Facebook page, um, he would be a, you know, a shoe-in, surefire Hall of Fame candidate for me. But no, you can't, you can't have, you know, blatant racism and, you know, supporting Nazis and um, Holocaust denial and then expect to be, you know, put in as one of the, uh, the bastions of baseball. Um, no, I can't have that. Matthew, do you have Kurt Schilling in your Hall of Fame? I do. Um, I just don't think that it. I. I mean, like, I, I get not, you know, including him because of of those reasons. That being said, I think it's kind of, you know, this is a baseball Hall of Fame. He's not a, you know, he's maybe dumb and bad morally, but he he's not a felon. He didn't like kill anybody. You know, it's not like. I just have a hard time like stopping what is clearly a qualified Hall of Fame candidate because of his personal views when we don't do the same kind of um, um, moral not not gatekeeping but we do don't do the same kind of um, moral uh, judging. Okay. Yeah, it, we don't we don't do the same kind of uh, off the field. Um, things as we do for Schilling. Partially that is just because Schilling has just been so vocal about it. But also vetting, there's the word I'm looking for. Like we don't we don't vet other people for off the field stuff. We don't know. So I I, I think he gets in. I also think it's he's been a port a part of like really important like baseball moments because of his long, you know, history in um the postseason, you know, that the bloody sock game is one of the, you know, most uh I, I don't even know how to say it. It's it's like it's the bloody sock game in one of the most important World Series in recent memories, you know. So I say yes, but I, I understand like, if no. I read um I read MLB.com's like uh but it's the Hall of Fame case for Kurt Schilling. No mention of off field stuff at all. I mean huh. just so <laughs> just about numbers, which. I think if you're going to vote him in, that's the stance you're going to take is the no mention of what, you know, he's done off the field, which for me it counts. But I understand that if, you know, somebody wants to focus only on on the field stuff, then, um, you know, Ty Cobb said he killed a guy. So whatever. But anyways. Well, and it goes back to the what I was saying about, you know, with Bonds. You know, this is about these are about the guys that are the part of the game of baseball. And yeah. I, I'm for me, the character, there is a character clause in the. Hall of Fame voting, but to me, it's like you have to kill a guy really to to get um, not voted in in my book. And so, I, yeah, I, I think Schilling's a pretty terrible person, but um, and I don't think he's actually a slam dunk case. I think if he was a slam dunk case, I think he'd have more support. But I think he is kind of a marginal case, and his just his verbal diarrhea, I think, is getting him um, less support than he would otherwise get. Um, but does Thibodeau have, does, does Thibodeau have him voting? Uh, do, do you know what Thibodeau has tracking for him? I think he was above 50, but not close to 75. But oh, I, think okay. I, I could be okay. mistaken. I think it's close to what he got last year. Um, so yeah. And I, I, you know, 
I, to me, it's his baseball career, and I have his, as far as his baseball career, I think he's 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 in, but only kind of marginally so. And I certainly understand that people have him out, um, but I, I I have him in for now. So um, let's go to well. First of all, we can all agree Mario Mariano Rivera is is in, right? No no argument uh, with that. Mario, <sighs> yeah, he was a borderline one for me in the sense that like he's he's so incredibly good as a reliever that he he made it in um he's probably the only reliever i think belongs in the hall of fame and you know even despite him being a reliever which you know in theory gives him less chance to kind of rack up um you know wins above replacement if you want to go by that he was still better than a lot of guys uh who got in um so i do it, it was tough for me to put him in because um uh, you know he doesn't. He, he didn't pitch nearly as much as you know Mucina or Clemens or face as many pitchers as Bonds and the like. But he was just so good as a reliever, and it's tough to ding someone who is just so incredibly good in his role. And I don't mean that we should, you know, um, vote in the best player at each position necessarily. But I think Mucina, as a borderline case, I, I could put him in. He's on mine, but it, it, I did it begrud- semi begrudgingly. And Matthew, is he a borderline case for you, or do you for sure? He is not a borderline case. I think, I think it's a bit of uh, hip, a bit of hypocritical thinking to place all of this value on relievers nowadays um, and not value some of the greatest relievers in the history of the game and. I think that more and more this is going to be a really interesting thing to watch, you know, um, where when relievers like, you know, Craig Kimbrell become available for the Hall of Fame or whatever, you know, does that matter um, to voters that, you know, he wasn't as good as Mariana Rivera, um, but, you know, he's one of, you know, really excellent relievers without the counting stats that kind of matter. So, It'll be an interesting thing to watch, but I think in Mariano Rivera's case, I mean, he's Mariano Rivera. What are you going to do? Yeah, I'm not one-inning relievers getting in, like Lee Smith and Trevor Hoffman. Uh, but, I mean, Mariano Rivera, like, laps the field with them and it's, as far as, like, wins above replacement and, and saves and ERA and ERA plus. And he was just so much better than those guys that you can put him on. You know, you can put him up with, like, Goose Gossage and, and the, the multi-inning relievers that, um, that we used to have. So I yeah he's a slam dunk in my mind I don't, I don't I think he's probably the best reliever we've ever had and if he if he was in the seventies I bet he would have pitched multiple innings maybe he, he would have had a shorter career but I think he would have dominated in much the same fashion so I I have him in um uh but what about Billy Wagner Billy Wagner also a dominant closer of that era um, his ERA plus is pretty good uh, at uh, 187 um, behind only Craig Kimbrell. And Rivera among relievers with at least 500 appearances. He has 422 saves. That's all time. Uh, you don't hear a lot of support for Billy Wagner, but is does he have a better case than maybe people think, uh, Sean? Um, I don't have an. I don't have him on mine. Um, yeah, I mean, I'm pretty hesitant. If if Rivera barely gets in on my ballot, then you know Wagner doesn't get doesn't even you know. I, I doesn't even get the honor of me writing the first letter of his name on the ballot. Uh, so no, he's not in for me. I, I mean, his case is okay, 
I mean, like, if you look at someone, and it's interesting that, like, Rivera, if you want to go by reliever, reliever ERA, Rivera's at 2.21, Wagner's at 2.31, which, um, you know, is actually pretty close. And by FIP, actually, uh, Wagner beats Rivera 2.76 versus Wagner's 2.73. Um, so, I mean, you could maybe line them up and look at it, and you know, in that sense of ERA and FIP and see, like, okay, they're pretty comparable, but... I mean, 300 more innings for Rivera, almost twice as much wins above replacement. I mean, I just, yeah, I mean, he's not in for me. So, I'll uh, I'll co-sign what 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 Sean says. Also, I do think that um, postseason uh, reputation does matter, you know, and mm-hmm. what you've done in the postseason, and that's another facet of Rivera that clearly gets him in. in yeah, mind. I was gonna get just. I thought of, I agree with you, and I thought of that after I've already said it as well. Is that Rivera has a postseason of 0.7 ERA. Um, at least that's what Fangraph shows me. Um, and, you know, a 2.23 FIP. So, like, 141 innings. So, even if you think his regular his regular season uh, war is 39.7, I mean, you could probably throw on another five, maybe ten wins at least uh, based off of that, based off of his postseason, you know, uh, performance. So, yeah, no, I... Yeah, sorry. I, I agree that the Wagner one is is nowhere near Rivera. Yeah, I I tend to agree. And I like I said, I don't. I'm not a big fan of one inning relievers getting in. And even if I did, like uh, Trevor Hoffman uh, pitched a thousand innings, Lee Smith and Mario Mariano Rivera, twelve hundred innings. Billy Wagner only pitched nine hundred innings. He just kind of got hurt a lot at the end of his career. So I I don't have him in. I think he was a very good player. Though. I think he would be in my hall of very good and. I think his case is probably probably better than some people may think because I don't think he, I don't think he's on the minds of a lot of people when it comes to Hall of Fame and he should at least be considered. But but I have him out as well. Uh, let's talk about two guys that I believe are on their last year on the ballot, uh, two sluggers in Fred McGriff and Edgar Martinez. Edgar's support seems to be pretty strong this year. Fred I think may may fall off the ballot this year. Um, Fred McGriff, 493 home runs, 52 wins above replacement. 134 OPS plus, um, never won MVP, did finish top 10 five straight years. For, for a while there, five or six years, he was considered one of the best first basemen in baseball. Uh, Edgar Martinez, probably considered one of the best DHs of all time. Um, his uh, career OPS is 933, which is outstanding. Uh, but he also never won an MVP. Uh, let's see, his career wins above replacement was... Uh, 68.4, which is pretty strong, um, made uh, seven All-Star games. So, Sean, we'll start with you. Fred McGriff and Edgar Martinez, are they are they going to Cooperstown in your mind, or uh, do you have them falling off? McGriff is a no for me. McGriff is a Hall of Very Good, um, alongside guys like Helton and like Jeff Kent and um, like Berkman and Sosa, I think those guys are in the Hall of Very Good, which is, you know, phenomenal. Um, Martinez is a slam dunk one for me. Um, he gets dinged, obviously, if you're going to use war, he gets dinged incredibly hard, almost uh, 133 runs negative um, for his career, just solely because he was a D. I think he played third base for a little while, but, yeah. you know, he was basically a DH for a while. I mean, for most of his career. So, you know, if you can buy into like, okay, he probably wasn't that bad, you know, because if you think the DH penalty is too tough. So, I mean, there's 13 wins right there you've taken off, and you tack on 13 wins. That puts him, you know, better than Roland, better than Walker, Jones, Manny, everybody. Um, and so, yeah, and I mean, 
if you can buy the idea that um, uh, David Ortiz is a Hall of Famer, the guy who's won the Edgar Martinez Award <laughs> it's for however many years it is, but Edgar Martinez isn't a Hall of Famer, then yeah, no. Martinez, career 147, WRC+. Plus, I mean, just a phenomenal hitter. Uh, career 418 OBP. Struck out for his career less than he walked more than he struck out for his career. 204 ice, just incredible hitter. So, um, Bonds is the best hitter of this generation. Pujols is up there too, Trout. But I think Ed Mar- Edgar Martinez might be one of the top 10 or so hitters of the past, you know, whatever, 20 years. Matthew, do you have Edgar Martinez or Fred Griffin? <laughs> I do. I have Edgar Martinez in. Um, and I have Martinez because. His like look at like his adjusted numbers, they're they're insane. And I kinda think that that's what you have to do for that era, is you gotta look at adjusted numbers and see, you know, what was going on. And he was like superb. He was excellent. Um, and I don't think that being a DH matters as much as it, it should, you know. Like he was a great hitter. Great hitters are great hitters. And I don't really think that the value between like a DH and a first baseman only is, is that big, especially if that first base is bad at defending. Uh, is yeah. Joey Lotto a Hall of Famer for you guys? Um, he's on his way. I, I think it would depend a lot how he ages, but uh, he's he's getting there. Yeah. Okay. Because Votto, Votto and Marcus have pretty similar-ish numbers mm-hmm. um, from walks and strikeouts and um, ISO and WRC plus and – War, uh, Votto's at 65, and um, Martinez was at was at what was he at 65 point whatever. So, you know, assuming that Votto picks up another 10 wins over his career, um, he's going to be pretty much spot on with Edgar Martinez. And yeah, I mean, I don't, I don't think that right now. And I love Joey Votto, but I don't think right now, if you you know said Hall of Fame voters is Votto Hall of Famer, I don't think he gets in. Mm-hmm. Um, despite a very similar career as Martinez. So I just an offhand thing I kind of noticed there. Matt, do you think Votto's a Hall of Famer? I don't know. I think I think it's hard to tell because he's still playing, you know. And I think some people's uh, or some players' reputations kind of get solidified after they're done and you have some, some distance on them. So he's, he's Canadian too. I don't know if there's many Canadian Hall of Famers. Fergie Jenkins, that comes off the top of my head. Yeah, I don't know. Huh. <laughs> Well, that's a name. Yeah. Sounds like, sounds like you just made that up. <laughs> uh, so I have I, – I want to see the case for Edgar Martinez, and I know a lot of people – it sounds like he's getting in. Uh, and I just I, – I don't have a problem with him being a DH. I have more of a problem that he didn't really get his career going until he was like 29 years old. And yeah. Uh, yeah. so his counting stats aren't super great. Uh, 20, uh, he has 2,247 hits. 309 home runs. Um, his rates are outstanding, though. I mean, 312 on average, 418 on base, 515 slug. Uh, but, uh, you know, other than 1995, uh, didn't really have a monster year, uh, or was an MVP or anything like that. So I have him, like, just – like, he'd be 11th on my 10-man ballot. If I had an expanded ballot, I would, I might have him in. Um, but I, just, I don't know. I, I want to see the case for him. I just don't quite see the case for him yet. Uh, Fred McGriff is a guy that I didn't see the case for for a long time, and this year I was like, you know what? I took a long look at his numbers. I'm like, he's probably a Hall of Famer. I feel, you know, and and I liked him a lot as a kid. I think he was one of my favorite players. Uh, but he was kind of a power hitter before the silly ball era. Um, you know, when 36 home runs could lead the league, which I think you know when you adjust for that era, 
it was pretty good. He had a 165 OPS plus in 1989. Um, had some really good years and was just and you know once he after his peak was just a very very solid player for many years. Ended up with 493 home runs. I think if he had seven more home runs, like people would vote him in. You know, just because of oh, all yeah. the numbers. Uh, so I I have him in. I think Fred McGriff's a Hall of Famer. I kind of hope he gets in just because he was a super guy for for many years and and um, uh, you know I think he's a guy that probably deserves to be rewarded like that. Um, and Edgar Martinez, quite frankly, is too. I think if there's a nice guy Hall of Fame, I think Edgar Martinez would be in there as well. So you know I could be persuaded on Edgar, um, but Fred I have in already. Well, I'm thinking with Martinez though. I mean, like his his isn't I think his entire Hall of Fame case rests on him being a DH versus not being a DH. Yeah, I mean, yeah. if he played the field, he pro- I mean, he would be a slam dunk, yes. So but basically, he did, but he didn't though, and and it's not like the Mariners had an all uh, Hall of Fame third baseman those days. I know, they, but what well, what I mean is that his, so his Hall of Fame case rests on the fact that he's a victim of a rule change in 1973, effectively. Because yeah. if that rule change never comes around, he's probably playing first base or third base throughout his career. Yeah. He gets in, so I don't know. Uh, let's talk to about two more guys that are kind of performance enhancing drug. Uh, candidates, uh, Sammy Sosa and May Ramirez. Man Ram, uh, terrible defender, but was a really solid hitter. Uh, 555 career home runs, 12 all-star appearances, 154 OPS plus. Certainly one of the most feared hitters in, in, in his part in his prime. Uh, he's also, you know, unlike Barry Bonds, who was never busted for a drug test. Manny Ramirez definitely did <laughs> fail a drug test and was suspended for most of a year because of it. Does that separate him in your mind with uh, Barry Bonds, or does he just not have the the, the resume? Um, let's start with Matthew this time. I think Manny Ramirez makes it um, just because of how much better he was than the average uh, person or average hitter during that time period. Again, this this comes back to my, um, you know, uh, the crazy ball era. You got to look at how good people were uh, adjusted, you know, and his adjusted offensive numbers is, are insane. Are just terribly insane. Um, like 150 or so, I think, WRC plus, which means 50% greater than the average, you know, player, uh, than the average hitter, which is crazy. Um, so I think he makes it. <clears throat> Excuse me. Um, yeah, and, and uh, who's, who's the other one? Sammy Sosa. Sammy Sosa, yeah. I don't think Sammy Sosa makes it because... He has a couple of really great, like, super high home run seasons. And, like, that's really it. His, like, his um, his adjusted offensive numbers are not great for his career. They're just, they're okay. They're, they're good. Just not not great. So I think Sosa's here for me. Like, yes, he has accounting stats, but he doesn't have the right stats even a little bit. And not really a lot of postseason stuff as well. Yeah, I think you're right about Sosa. Like, and I think people think he's more of a product of performance enhancing drugs i don't i'm kind of agnostic one way or the other i just think his, his career didn't have as long of a peak as you need for a hall of fame career like he was really just had six really good years and then the rest of his career he was pretty uh, okay-ish so he's not into my book i have ramirez in the the, the suspension doesn't bother me as much because i think like I said, you know, these guys did play, and Alex Rodriguez was suspended for a whole year, and I think he's definitely a Hall of Famer. So I think, you you know, I look at the 555 home runs and the the dominance for a decade. I have him in, but, but Sean, do you feel uh, differently about Ramirez and Sosa? Um, Ramirez, um, Manny is like, he's a fringe one. He's like, if I had 12 spots, then yeah. 
Um, but I think Manny, he and Edgar Martinez and like Sheffield um, and Andrew Jones and maybe even like Larry Walker, they've all got those cases where it's like they're very, very they're they're a lot of the exact same kind of type of players as far as the numbers go. But if you're Barry Bonds, I don't give a, a crap about uh, you doing steroids just because you're so incredibly good. It doesn't really matter that much. But if you're eliminating kind of the fringe candidates, I I, I do think that you can knock down Ramirez just a bit. Um, and so, no, he didn't make it on mine. Not necessarily because his numbers weren't worthy, but his numbers are, you know, kind of similar to a lot of other guys. And he, you know, gets moved a couple spots back just because he got dinged for the test. So I think there's some clear up. And he got, and he got dinged twice. Um, what was it? Once for steroids and once for testosterone. Um, so it's not just a single failure. I think it's a double one. So yeah. So he's off of mine just because of that. And um, Sosa, kind of a little bit of basically the same. But I have Sosa behind guys like Martinez and Manny and Sheffield. So um, you know, one twenty four WRC plus is obviously good. Um, but I don't know. Sosa, no. Sosa's a Paul very good for me. Uh, we've been talking about a lot of offensive guys, but um, it's interesting. There's been a really interesting debate about two defensive guys, uh, Scott Rowland and Omar Vizquel. I think Rowland is getting more support from the stats guys uh, because he was kind of an overlooked player. He wasn't like a you know uh, an MVP candidate many most years, uh, but just a really solid defender at third base who was a very good hitter with the bat. Um, and Omar Vizquel, I think he's getting more um, support from the non-stat guys who say, well, hey, Ozzie Smith's in. Omar Vizquel was a really good defender, too, and Omar Vizquel stuck around forever and had 2,877 hits, so why should Omar Vizquel be in? Uh, what, Sean, I guess we'll start with you. Like, what, yeah. Do you have either of those guys in, or are they both kind of out in your, in your I've mind? I've got Roland in for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I guess let me start off with Vizquel. you got to have better than an 83. I don't give a crap how good your defense is. you got to have a better than 83 WRC plus to make it into the Hall of Fame. You can't be a 17% below league average hitter and make it into the kind of the Hall of Halls. Um, so, you know, obviously Fiscal racked up gaudy defensive numbers and still, despite being an 83 WRC plus hitter, he has a 42 win career. Um, but Roland, Roland makes it in for me because he was a, a well above average hitter, 122 WRC plus, but also probably the greatest defensive third baseman, you know, up there um, uh, of all time. So he's in for me, racked up almost 70 wins had a, you know, better OBP than a, a lot of other, the guys on the ballot that, you know, it's one of the lower ones. It's like, it's basically, I think Jason Bay's on the ballot. It's pretty close to Jason Bay's career OBP, but of course, Roland is an incredibly good third baseman. So he's on for me. Matthew, where do you stand on the two defenders? I think any time that you start off a debate with, well, this person got in, mm-hmm. so this person should, you've already started on the wrong foot. Like, that that should almost be like a litmus test. Like, if you're starting, uh, like Salvo is, this other player is in, so this player should be in as well. You're already talking, that's already like damning uh, evidence against that player's accomplishments. So Omar, Omar skill is great. You know, um, you know, maybe not Hall of Famer great, but you know, Ozzie Smith being in does not mean that Omar should be in. Um, and as for Roland, you know, I, I think he can spot definitely in a different year. Um, he's another one of those like uh, top 15, you know, kind of guys. I don't know about top 10. 
Yeah, the career wins above replacement for Omar Vizquel is 45.6. For Ozzy Smith, 76.9. So, I, yeah, I don't see the comparison there. I don't have Omar anywhere close to being in the Hall of Fame. Scott Rowland, you know, he's another guy. I, I kind of see the case for him. I He would just... He was never considered all that great during his career, which doesn't isn't you know it shouldn't preclude you because I think Lou Whitaker should be in the Hall of Fame and he was never really considered that great during his career. Uh, but I I probably need some more time to come around and roll. I think he'd be twelfth on my ballot, um, so I don't have him in quite yet. But I could be persuaded on roll, and I think he was a tremendous defender, one of the best of all time, and he was a pretty good hitter as well. So there's certainly a case there to be made. Um, uh, Larry Walker, I just want to quickly get to him and I think or maybe Andrew Jones we can lump them in together as as good hitters that were good defenders in the outfield you guys have them in Sean we'll start with you um yeah I think Walker's deserving uh you know he's gonna get dinged for playing a course for so much but I mean you know WRC plus adjust for that and he had a 140 WRC plus career so um he's a guy that still put up almost 70 wins despite you know um not being he was for his career three and a half runs above average. So I mean, if anything, he was a you know an average defender, and probably he was less than that. Um, so no, I, I mean, so yes, I think that Walker is in for me. Um, was it Jones? Who's the other guy we were thinking yeah, Andrew of? Andrew Jones. Yep. <sighs> Jones was tough because um, Walker and Jones are pretty close. I, I do like Jones. I do think Jones is you know maybe the best center fielder of all time. Um, so yeah, yeah, I think ultimately I go with Jones too. So I think, I think Walker and Jones are our candidates. Yes. I-, I think they would be in online. Yeah. I think my most controversial, uh, statements or not statement, I guess my most controversial uh, player that I have in is I have Andrew Jones in for the hall of fame because he was a good hitter. He's got his counting stats stuck around for a while. And also I, I do think defense shouldn't be nothing, you know, if just because that there wasn't a accounting stats or an accurate counting stat or way to uh, evaluate defense, you know, I think that still matters. And I think that the Hall of Fame is naturally skewed towards, you know, players who can prove it, you know, on the stat sheet or on the box score sheet. And I think that Andrew Jones was just so good defensively. And offensively, he was good. He wasn't like Nomar Vizquel kind of like, oh, you know, he was not good at offense. Uh, Jones was a good hitter. You know, he wasn't a great super hitter, but uh, he was a good hitter for his career and had a nice peak and had, you know, what, 10 straight gold gloves in center field and was, you know, one of the best defenders of all time. So, yeah, I, I think that that counts. But and I, I, I understand not wanting to put him in because there's not evidence for it, you know? so to speak, but I just think it's odd, like in the sabermetric era where we know how valuable defense is and some of these guys with really great defense that nobody is saying, you know, yeah, because they have good defense, they should get it in. It's more along the lines of, you know, oh, this player was a good offensive player. I do wonder if that'll change in, you know, 20 years when we have DRS and the UZR and we can say, hey, this player was worth however many stat cast donuts or whatever, mm-hmm. you know. Um, but for now, you kind of just have to go with the by faith a little bit well i think what also matters too is like how they're judged at the time because i I keep citing like all-star appearances and and awards and that shouldn't be all that important because you know there have been terrible award decisions made in the past um but it does give you an idea of who who was considered the best at that time and 
Uh, I think now we are recognizing really good defenders now better than we used to. So a guy like Andrew Jones maybe would get more credit or, you know, might do better in MVP voting. Like he had a, you know, a couple, you know, eight win seasons Braves that maybe would get more consideration now than they did back then. So I don't have Jones in. I think you're right. He's probably one of the better defensive outfielders of all time. And he was a good hitter as well. I could be persuaded on Jones. I don't have him in right now, but that's because it's a stacked ballot. Um, I do have Larry Walker in. Um, and he's a guy that I've had out before, but um, I think if you look at his career numbers, uh, he wasn't just a product, of course. He's a good road hitter as well. And, of course, he was a phenomenal uh, outfielder with a great arm. So I have him in as well. Uh, so, so two more names that uh, I kind of want to wrap up with are Gary Sheffield and Jeff Kent. Kind of underrated players, I think, guys that when they were playing weren't like considered super-duper stars or – um, you know, I don't think people talked about them as Hall of Famers during at, at the time they were playing. But when you look at their careers in retrospect, I think their their case looks a little bit stronger, Sean. So let's start with Gary Sheffield a little bit, because I think he's, he kind of fits the same mold as a lot of the other sluggers we've discussed. Um, Gary Sheffield, uh, is he a Hall of Famer in your book? Yeah. Um, I mean, I know we had a, like a million guys that were kind of in that good but not great category and like here's how I look at it. Um, Sheffield, we know that the defensive metrics are really crappy. Um, and so they're not crappy. I'm sorry. They're they're They have wide fluctuations. They're hard to kind of nail down in the modern game. They work pretty well, but for guys, you know, that played before 2007 or whenever, or 2002, um, when, you know, DRS and UZR kind of really started to roll out. Um, it's just a total mystery. Um, and, well, maybe mystery is wrong, but you know, it, it's a way, way wider error bars on it. Um, so Sheffield, and we know that, you know, defense, especially older defense can be kind of shady to be like, okay, this might really not have been it. Um, but then on offense, I mean, we're pretty clear on how good of a hitter he was. And even offense dating back to 1890, we're, we're pretty clear on, you know, those metrics being pretty spot on. I mean, Sheffield had 141 WRC plus, you know, way, way, way above average hitter for his career. Had some peak like 185 seasons um, and 96. So, yeah, I, I mean, offensively, he's there. His war is 62, 62.1 on fan graphs, but that comes with a huge negative 205 runs. Um, I mean, that's a huge, that's 20 wins right there. So, you know, even if he never had a reputation for being, you know, a great outfielder, you at least, you know, are there, is he, was he really a negative 205 run outfielder where he had some negative like 30 and 26 uh, run defensive seasons, which, you know, if you look at it at like 2003, 2004, when those mechs start coming around, yeah, I mean, they still don't look good. But, I mean, if you look at it, he actually somehow was put up one of his best defensive seasons in 2007 and 2008 when he was 39 and 38 and uh even in 2003 and 2002 when those metrics started to roll around he didn't look quite as bad as the ones where we had to you know pull up retro sheets and and look and see so um with that being said i still think that if we can't just be like oh sheffield's defensive metrics don't count um for him but they do for everybody else so He's on my hall of very good. If my if the ballot was more than ten, he'd he'd be a shoe in. But the ballot's ten, and I I think I've got you know ten other guys on one end. So he he's there. And you know if he was available and I had a ten spot next year, then yeah, he would get in for me. Yeah, I think he's kind of right outside my ballot too. Like 
maybe like 12th uh, out of a 10-person ballot. And, yeah, he was – I mean, defensive side, he was a really good hitter for a really – I mean, he played – he started when he was 19 years old. He, he played until he was 40. 2,576 career games. That's a lot. And he, you know, kind of stuck around and put up some big numbers, 2,689 hits, 509 home runs. Was a very good hitter, though. 292 average, 393 on base, 514 slug, 907 career OPS, 140 OPS plus. So big numbers throughout his career, but never really uh, – he never won an MVP. Was top five, I think, three times in his career. Never had a huge, like, peak. Was just kind of really good every year. So, Matthew, like Gary Sheffield, I mean, I think part of it working against him is that he was never just, like, awesome one year or for a couple years. And also he bounced around from team to team a lot. I mean, there's not one team you would kind of associate him with. I mean, so does that – does that hurt what would otherwise be a pretty strong Hall of Fame case for you, or is it just the numbers aren't quite good enough for you? So I actually have him in. Okay. Um, I've got him in my Hall of Fame. Um, he's again, he's he's one of those guys. You know, I, you can make a good case for Larry Walker again. Other you know hitters. The reason why I think he gets in as opposed to some of these other guys um, is one his consistently a consistency. Mm-hmm. Excuse me. Um, between 1992 and 2005. He had a single season where he hit less than 37% above league average. One season. And then that season he hit 23% above league average. So for like a good almost 15, you know, 13 seasons or whatever that was, um, he was just extremely, extremely good every year, year in, year year out. Uh, Another reason why I have him in, um, you know, he's got the magical 500 home run number. Um, which not a lot of you know people get to, and you know for Hall of Fame voters that matters, and I think it matters getting to that number says something about you as a player. Um, and the kind of the third thing is he walked more than he struck out for his entire career, and not only by like a little bit, he walked thirteen and a half percent of the time, struck out ten point seven percent of the time. That is, that's a pretty big gap. Um, he had fantastic plate discipline. He hit for power. He hit for average. Um, and was very consistent. And I, I don't think that you need to have awards necessarily to get into the Hall of Fame because only a certain number of people can win those awards, you know. I think you can put together a case of being a very, very good player, an excellent player even for years and years, um, and doing it in a way that uh, is multifaceted and put together a good case. And that's why I think Sheffield gets in. He was just so good for so long, even if he wasn't, you know, the super best at anything. Do you guys don't have any issues with the PED stuff? I mean, I don't. And I, you know, I bonds, Clemens are all in for me, but that's going to keep some voters away. What is the, yeah. what is the case against Sheffield? Cause I, um, he has never he fought got, a test, but he was in the, he was in the Balco. Um, he used that quote unquote, the cream mm-hmm. as they called it. So he was part of the Balco association. Um, and he was like, oh, he didn't know his P- – he said he didn't know his PEDs at the time, but he did admit that he took that substance that got a bunch of people kind of right. picked off. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know if that's actually working against him um, as much as other guys. I think that stuff is maybe not as attached to him. Um, no, kind of, you know, not like, as hard. Yeah. But there um, is some pushback. I right. mean, I have seen there is some pushback from voters saying that he's not in because of his association with PEDs right. and, and Balco. It's not even association. I mean, he admitted he took it. He right. just never got caught taking it you know yeah i think it'll be interesting to see when once the log jam is kind of um you know res- resolved a little bit and we start getting some of these guys in the hall of fame and, and there's some, some spots opening up 
I wonder if you will see a little bit more of a push from him. Because um, right now, I don't think he's he's anywhere close to getting in right now. But, um, but yeah, maybe they'll, they'll, we'll start seeing him in a different light uh, after a few years. Or maybe the, 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 the PED case against him will, will keep him out and we'll, um, we'll have him out, out of the Hall of Fame. Uh, another guy I wanted to talk about was Jeff Kent. And if I, there was one guy where there was like my poster child of, of someone I was, I was going to advocate for, uh, kind of like you know, the, the campaign for Tim Raines a couple years ago or um, some people with, uh, with Burt Blylevin. Uh, it would be Jeff Kent, and I'm kind of baffled as why he doesn't get some more support. More support, uh, because he, uh, in my mind, is one of the best hitting second baseman ever. Lifetime 290, 356, 500 hitter, 123 OPS plus, 377 home runs, uh, most home runs ever by um, at the second base position. Uh, was MVP in 19 in 2000, although he probably didn't deserve it that year. He probably should have should have gone to Bonds, and they just didn't want to give to Bonds again. But um, but very very at his peak, he had a really strong peak there for about seven or eight years. Uh, but I don't know. You guys may feel differently. Sean, do you think Jeff Kent is a Hall of Famer? Well, I mean, come on. You guys are going to serve up a good hitting second baseman to me. I mean, who if there's anybody out there that loves second baseman who can hit it? <laughs> it's you. Uh, I mean, come on. That's obvious. But no, uh, unfortunately, I don't have him. Hey, another guy that, yes, very good. And strangely, um, Back when I played uh, MVP, MVP baseball, um, you know, back in the early 2000s, I loved the Giants, um, and Kent was always he and JT Snow were my guys. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just randomly they were my guys. I but um, y- yeah, no, he wasn't on mine. He's kind of he's kind of got that Ben Zobers career where, you know, even though with the Mets Kent was was good, an average, just a little bit above average player. You know, when he turned 29 or 30, he just you know turned it on. Um, so he's kind of got that Zobrist-esque thing. Um, didn't have the walk rates that Zobrist did until kind of a little bit later in his career. But, yeah, he was good. But, no, he's not on my ballot. Um, you know, just didn't quite get there. And probably because of the late start. You know, he didn't even debut till 24. And then kind of fluttered, you know, a little bit. Um, and then, you know, then he took off. So just kind of a late start, just like Zobrist got. Yeah, he's pretty much a league average hitter until he hit his 30s and then just kind of hit a new plateau at the Giants. So, Matthew, does that late start uh, hurt him too much to leave him off your Hall of Fame ballot? Um, I mean, yeah, I, I, I think so. Um, I mean, the the talking about consistent consistency, I can't say that word today. Um, between 1992 and 2007, he was at least a league average hitter or better. And that's, that's kind of astounding that, you know, he just didn't have one, you know, crappy season in there, which happens to even, you know, good players. Um, like Eric Hosmer, um, unless you consider him not that great, which that's a can of worms. <laughs> um, I, I, I mean, so for me, it's a guy like uh, Gary Sheffield, 41% above average for his career. You know, he's a 292 hitter, over 500 home runs, walked more than he struck out. You know, so so a guy like that, and there's other guys like him, like Larry Walker is kind of similar, Um uh, numbers in terms of adjusted offense. Um, and then you look at Jeff Kent, who 23% above average for his career. Um, he doesn't even have 400 home runs. Um, his plate discipline isn't as good. Um, and he doesn't have, I, I know this is not a great way to evaluate defense, um, but it does matter in Hall of Fame voting. Uh, gold gloves. He doesn't have a single gold glove uh, for his career. You know, So he was a good hitter. 
you know, between 1998 and 2007, he was a very good hitter, but he just, you know, he wasn't good enough for long enough, I don't think, um, to get in the Hall of Fame. Now, you know, he's a he's a very good player. He's a type of player that if he played for your team a majority of the time, you'd be happy to put them in your team Hall of Fame. I just don't think he makes it into the, uh, you know, Hall of Fame, at least not with, not with this class. You know, I think there's a case to be made for him, certainly, but I think there are 10 other better candidates. So I'll just compare him real quick to to Ryan Sandberg because I, I think Ryan, people consider Ryan Sandberg a slam dunk Hall of Famer, and they probably should. Yeah. Uh, so Kent has more hits, 2,461 to 2,381, more home runs, 377 to 282, and a better OPS plus, 123 to 114. And you're right, Kent defensively was not a gold glover. By, he was far from it. He was pretty much a statue out there at second base, whereas Sandberg was – probably one of the best second basemen defensively to ever play the game. So Sandberg has the edge in, in, in overall wins above replacement, 68 to 55. So I'm not going to say Kent was better than Sandberg, but I think he's in the same class. And uh, I, I, I don't know. I think he's in, I, but I think you're right. I think the, the, the his late start, um, the, his poor defense, and, and frankly the fact that he was kind of a jerk to the media is, is probably going to hurt him and hurt his chances uh, and, but I can see his case improving. I think as as more players get in and and the, like I said, the long jet, log jam kind of gets um, resolved. So uh, we'll see. We'll see uh, who gets in. Do you guys want to recap uh, maybe your ballot? We'll start with you, Sean. Who's who's on your ballot? Then your top. Yeah, 10? hold on. I'm sorry. Let me pull mine back up because um, I didn't add Sheffield or um, Kent to mine, so it stayed the same. Uh, yeah, I've, I had uh, Clemens, obviously. Uh, Bonds. I, I mean, if I was going to go in order, I mean, it was Bonds and Clemens were shoe ins for mm-hmm. sure. Um, couldn't I couldn't have checked their names off in Excel any quicker than I did. Um, Edgar was another big time shoe in for me. Maybe one of the best hitters ever. Um, and it sounds like he's going to get in this time around on the true ballot. Um, Halliday, Rivera, uh, Roland, and Walker. And Walker was a kind of a surprise for me. Before I kind of started researching, I thought, no, I don't think he hit good enough, but I was wrong. Um, and uh, Andrew Jones and Manny are my 10. And Matthew? Yeah, so I had uh, Bonds and Clemens. Uh, and uh, after that, you know, those are clearly the two, I think. I agree with you, Sean. Uh, Bonds and Clemens. And then I have uh, Edgar. I have Manny Ramirez, uh, Mariano Rivera, Kurt uh, Schilling, uh, Halliday, um, Mike Mussina, Gary Sheffield, and my kind of guy that I, uh, you know, like um, and I think should be getting more consideration is Andrew Jones um, because I think defense should, you know, matter even if it can't be evaluated as, uh, you know, as as well as hitting can. You know, I, I think that kind of uh, is unfair to the defensively great players uh, like Andrew Jones, and he was a good hitter too, so... Uh, he's my tenth guy. And my ballot, I've, I've like you guys, Bonds and Clemens are, are slam dunks. Mariano, Mariano Rivera is a slam dunk for me as well. Um, Roy Halladay, I think, is pretty firmly in. Uh, Mike Mussina as well. Uh, Manny Ramirez, I think if you get past the PED stuff, I think he's pretty clearly a Hall of Famer. I have Jeff Kent. I think he's a pretty solid case. Uh, Fred McGriff, uh, I think, is a guy that I've kept out for a while, but I think he, I, this is a lot, his last year, and I think he's finally deserving of, of getting in there. And then Larry Walker is a guy that I've kind of had on the outside, but um, kind of like you, Sean, I took a hard look at him this year. And I'm like, yeah, you know, you know what? The, the numbers justify it. And then the hardest one for me was Kurt Schilling, just because 
he's he's by the numbers he's in i think barely and the off the field stuff makes it more difficult for me to put him in there i really don't want to see him give a speech at, at cooperstown um but i think you gotta you know you gotta admit that his numbers are are warrant you know warrant some sort of uh honor i think at least as as um for, for what he did on the field so that's our those are our ballots and uh we'll find out this week what the bbwaa decides um it looks like you know rivera is going to be in for sure and halliday has a pretty strong chance of making it in and edgar martinez looks like he he may actually get in but we'll have to find out uh for sure this week so uh tune in this week and then you'll find out um but that'll kind of do it for us this week and um Next time we talk, we'll probably spring training will be right around the corner. Uh, John, is there anything you want to tell us about what you're working on or how you're coping with the Chiefs, Chiefs loss? No, but I was just going to say, Chiefs fans, you know, uh, sorry that, you know, the Chiefs lost, obviously. And if they're, you know, if there's anything to pick your spirits up, it's now you got to turn the page and start looking at the 66 win Royals team or whatever they're going to be <laughs> here in 2019. So it, I don't know if it gets better. <laughs> it might be a long uh, offseason, even though. You know, there's something else to watch. It, uh, I guess they might steal a bunch of bases, so we'll see. Um, other than that, just kind of more <clears throat> uh, Royals Review Lab kind of stuff. Um, I think they've gone really well. We've still got a whole bunch of questions in the can. And then I'll do some sort of uh, – I'll do some prospect update. I know – I think I might have mentioned this last time, but I haven't decided what I'm going to do with that since I just did them in August. I don't know if enough is a change, but uh, we'll probably do something there. I've got a million thoughts on things. So – other than that, just uh, kind of taking things as they go and waiting for the Royals to sign Harper and Machado. Then I'll really <laughs> get rolling. Well, I did enjoy the the, the uh, what would the the nine Whit Merrifields on the field look like? Uh, yeah, I think that's something that uh, a lot of Royals fans would actually like yeah, to see hopefully. happen. <laughs> so, yeah, uh, Matthew, uh, what what is there anything you want to tell us about what you're working on or how you're coping with the Chiefs' loss? How I'm coping with the Chiefs' loss? Uh, I'm not really coping. Um, and that doesn't mean that I'm like throwing everything around. I'm just I'm I'm not that sad about it. Uh, you know I think getting the monkey off their back by defeating the Colts first off, and uh, getting that home win second. You know, um, those are that's really big. And I think that kind of shifts the Chiefs uh, fans um, from thinking, oh, the Chiefs are a you know cursed franchise mm-hmm. to you know they broke through, and now anything's possible. And it was, it was really interesting. Like the feeling around uh, Twitter and the internet and uh, the city was so different this, this week than it was yeah. last week. You know, it was just like really, really tense. So I'm not really that, you know, I'm not, I'm not that uh, worked up about it. Um, the thing, the nice thing is that the chiefs have one of the best few quarterbacks in the league and he's 23 and they're going to have him – they're going to extend him, obviously. And they're going to have him for another decade. Yeah, there's talk he's about to sign a $200 million extension soon. So, yeah, yeah, he's That'll eligible be- after after next year. So, yeah, yeah. he's, he's going to be around forever. Um, you know, the so I think Mahomes can elevate the Chiefs, you know, to – to a Super Bowl at some point. If it's not this year, you know, nobody expected the Chiefs to win a Super Bowl this year. That's the other thing. Yeah. So if you go back to the beginning of the year, some people didn't even think the Chiefs would make the playoffs, right? right? So, yeah. like, if you just, like, pull back and, like, take a look, kind of like when the, the Royals in 14, you know, pull back and take a look, like, nobody expected this. It was, you know, this is just, like, house money 
and then next year you can come back and be like, okay, yeah, here's, you know, we're, we're doing it. Um, so, so yeah, that's good. That is if, you know, if the chiefs actually do the moves that they need to make, like, uh, letting go of Bob Sutton, <laughs> um, but we'll, we'll see. They didn't do hey. that last year when they clearly should have. So I don't really have faith in that department. Hey, do you guys think, I think someone and I were talking about this. God, I don't remember who it was. Not that Mahomes is peaked, but do you think that he has another season like he did this season? You know, do you think it's going to be the norm, or do you think? I mean, maybe he throws fifty-one touchdowns or something next season. But I mean, or in a season. But do you think that this is this might be his best season? Perhaps. I mean, he is going to win MVP. That's a pretty good season for anybody. So you know, what do you think? I, I think this is kind of the new normal for the NFL. Not that he's going to put up fifty touchdowns every year, but we're clearly in like a silly ball era of football, like where the rules are such that, um, you know, the advantage is so heavy for receivers now that you're going to see guys putting up big passing numbers. I mean, that being said, relative to the league, he's still doing very well. So I can see him doing this for a few years. I think you also have to take into consideration. He's got some pretty good weapons to deal with that. He may not have six, seven years from now. Like if Travis Kelsey doesn't stick around or he just pretty quickly. Even three years from now. Yeah, you yeah. Know, tight ends don't stick around forever. I mean, look at Gronkowski already. Or Tyreek Hill, you know, as soon as his speed goes, I mean, he's not going to be very valuable. So um, I think he could do this for a couple of years, but, it, you know, I don't think we should expect him to do this every year. <laughs> I mean, uh, it's pretty remarkable. I, but I don't know. We're kind of in uncharted territory, don't you think? I mean, when was the last time a rookie quarterback won? I mean, he's essentially a rookie, a first-year quarterback, won MVP. I mean, it's it's yeah. it's kind of crazy, I think. So. Yeah, I think I think that um, Mahomes. I mean, yeah, you're right. It's in the, it is in the silly ball era, but he had 50 passing touchdowns. The next highest person had 39. You yeah, know, that's yeah. that's that's pretty big. And the other thing is, like, he's he's a rookie. You know, essentially a rookie. Um, and yes, you know, he had the um, you know the the season where he was under Alex Smith's wing and he got to learn and everything. But like, that's that's not the same as going out and doing you know, actual real life football games and playing in a, you know, AFC championship game. Like that's, that's crazy. He, I, so to answer your question, John, I don't know if he'll statistically be as good as this because there's a lot of things that play into that, you know, and there's a reason why there've been like what, three uh, seasons with patching touchdown numbers over 50. You know, I don't know if he'll be statistically as good as this, but I think he can get better. Um, yeah. Experience. So, Which is kind of weird, right? Like, if he gets better, you would expect this, but but still, the the statistics are 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 crazy that he's put up, and he could play better and not get those same amount of you know statistics, right? So, yeah, um, I do wonder. And I mean, he got a nice big help, and I'm not trying to say this to denigrate his accomplishments, but he did have ten touchdowns by the third quarter of the second game. You know what I'm saying? Like, talk about a hot start. Like, it's tough to ever do that hot start again. um, To you know put up six or whatever it was against the Steelers and then four against the, you know, I mean, it's tough to, to expect 10 touchdowns before the clock ticks on the fourth quarter of the second game. So that's and a, there's more film on him now. Like their defenses yeah. have seen him now. Like they didn't know what to expect at first. And, 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 you know, that's why I think his numbers went down a little bit in the second half. Um, and, you know, and also it got, it got colder too. I think that hurts a little bit, but, um, 
Yeah, I don't know. It's exciting, it's, you know. And it, you know, it's just to tie it back in with the Royals, you know, you're talking about how no one, you know, people were predicting the Chiefs to go eight and eight this year because they didn't know, you know, with a first year quarterback how they do. So this is this is kind of house money, and I do kind of see a lot of the parallels with 2014 with the Royals, and how I mean, you know, you talk about breaking the curse by finally winning a playoff game against the Colts, and it's kind of like the Royals, you know, like they the psyche of this franchise in the city was kind of like we're just losers, you know, we're not ever going to win anything. Um, and then 2014 just totally changed that. And I think with the Chiefs, too, like, you know, there's a psyche of, you know, we're always cursed in the playoffs. And this year, they finally broke that. They beat the Colts. And, yeah, they lost the Patriots, but it, they took them down to the wire. And I think there is the hope that, you know, with Mahomes being here for hopefully the next decade or so, they'll get several more, you know, bites at that apple. So I think I, yeah. I think the future is pretty bright for Chiefs fans. And maybe maybe watching the Royals this year – and their 90 to 95 losses will make Chiefs fans appreciate what they had with a team that went to the AFC Championship game and to get them excited for football this fall. But uh, in the meantime, we'll, we'll be covering Royals baseball and uh, all its wonderful glory. Maybe they'll surprise everyone this year. You never know. Base, sports can surprise you. You want to send us out? Um, thanks, guys, and have uh, many, many good days. Hey!